The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. A Cooley and Kevin football Friday coming up here momentarily. We will be previewing, obviously, Washington against Tampa Bay and the other five wildcard weekend games as well. I've got a smell test. Cooley's got a lock of the week. If you haven't wagered before and you're thinking about doing it for the first time this weekend, go to mybookie.ag, please. Uh, This is a place that is, first of all, fun. Uh, It's also fair, and that's what you need to find. You can't find a spot that's going to rip you off with bad pricing and bad point spreads and then not pay you when you win. Uh, My bookie is going to pay you if you win. My bookie is also going to give you free money to play with if you use my promo code, Kevin DC. So if you use my promo code, Kevin DC, they'll match your deposit halfway up to $1,000. So if you open up the account with, say, 300 bucks, they're going to give you an extra 150 to play with. If you open it up with $1,000, they're going to give you an, an extra $500 to play with. You're looking for a place that's fair, that's going to give out uh, point spreads that are fair, pricing on those point spreads and those bets that are fair, money lines that are fair, and give you several different ways to wager. You can obviously bet on the games. You can bet on the totals. You can put together parlays. I would urge you to stay away from teasers. Um, You can bet in-game. They've got other ways to wager as well. They've got an online casino. They've got an online race book. Go to mybookie.ag and use my promo code, KevinDC, K-E-V-I-N-D-C, and they'll match your deposit halfway up to $1,000. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, it is a Friday, and Cooley and I are recording this Friday morning. There could be news related to Alex Smith or Taylor Heineke coming later on this afternoon, but we're going to go with the more probable of outcomes, I think, which is even if he isn't 100%, Alex Smith starts the game. That's what I would suggest doing, Cooley. I think that's going to happen. I know that there's definitely some indication that Alex isn't as healthy this week as he was last week. I just can't imagine them starting Taylor Heineke in this game. I think the more likely outcome, if Alex isn't 100% or isn't even 80%, is that they give him a chance to start the game, and if it isn't working, that they bring Taylor Heineke in off the bench. I, I I just can't imagine, and it may happen, but I would wager against Taylor Heineke being the starter Saturday night. I would wager against Heineke being the starter as well. 
Okay. I, I just don't think Alex is going to be anywhere near his 100%, which is, in reality, his 60% as far as what his legs actually are or his 50%. But you don't think it'll make a difference. They're going to start him anyway. I'm going down with old reliable. Yeah, I am too. I am too. If it's really bad, like, you know, 49er game bad, you can yank him. Um, but Can't I'm... throw the ball, yank him. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, we are going to do um, – I think, for us anyway, a fast-moving show. This is not going to be a two-hour show today. Um, we are going to do Washington wins if to start the show, our keys to a win over the Buccaneers. I've got a smell test with four selections from uh, Wild Card Weekend. Uh, Cooley's got a lock of the week. We'll talk about the other games, and then we will finish up uh, the show today with a final score prediction um, with maybe a footnote or two. But let's get after it. Washington beats the Buccaneers, pulls off the upset. Uh, by the way, Cooley, uh, here's something just as an FYI. Only four times, and this is the fourth time, since the merger in 1970, so over the last 50 years, only four times has a road team been a six-point favorite or higher and in the previous three, the previous three, the underdog team at home won the game outright. The, by the way, the, the 2011 Pittsburgh team uh, was a uh, more than a, a six-point uh, underdog at home and won. Um, the 2010 7-9 Seahawks, we all remember the Marshawn Lynch run against the Saints. They were a double-digit underdog and won that game. And then it also happened um, uh, in 2000, I think, with the Rams. Hold on. Where was that? Damn it. I had that right in front of me seconds ago. Here it is. Uh, Tampa Bay is the fourth team since the, the, the 1970 merger to be a road favorite of at least six points in a playoff game. The previous three all lost outright. 2011 Pittsburgh, 2010 New Orleans, and the 2000 Rams uh, lost. The 2011 Pittsburgh game, um, the Steelers were, let me find that, the 2011 Steelers. Hmm. Um, oh, that was the, uh, that, that was the, uh, the Tim Tebow game. Tim Tebow won the game, oh, and they yeah. were a seven-and-a-half-point dog at home in Denver to the Steelers. The game they should have never won. Right. Also, the every single team that's made the playoffs with a lose, losing record in Washington um, is now, I believe, the third team. They've all won games. Seattle and then Carolina, the 2014 Panthers, uh, won their first-round game against Atlanta as well. Uh, all right. Uh, let's get to it. Washington beats the Buccaneers if you go first. Protect. It's going to come here in, in two fashions. Protect Alex Smith. They didn't do it well last week. And he was not able to survive in the pocket long enough to get to his second and third reads. It made him antsy very early in the game. He knew he wasn't going to be able to run. He knew he wasn't going to be able to move. And so protecting Alex Smith is going to be absolutely critical. The Eagles beat him with stunts up front. They beat him with some blitzes off the edge. Alex just didn't have time. It wasn't as panicked or as rushed as it looked. 
because he actually was that panicked and rushed. I don't think it was because of the leg. He knows he's got to get rid of it early if he's playing in this game. He just does. He can't survive long enough, and I don't think he wants to take those hits back there. So he's dumping it. You got to give him another full second back in the pocket. And, and protecting Alex Smith is going to be absolutely critical for this team. And then protect the ball. They're just an offense that can't afford to turn it over at this point in the season. Now, we could get one of those games where the defense creates four or five turnovers, but that's unlikely, Kevin. You're Right now, you got to protect the ball. And if you're not going to score on 40, 50% of your possessions, hopefully – maybe 30% of your possessions, then you can't give it to Tampa. You got to play the field position game and you got to trust your defense. So for me, the number one key to Washington winning this football game is protecting Alex Smith and protecting the football. My number one key to beating the Buccaneers is stop the run. Uh, this is obviously an old adage, late in the season, December football, January football, you got to be able to stop the run and run the football. I don't think they're going to be able to run the football, but I think they have to stop the run, and they have to make Tom Brady one-dimensional. You men- mentioned this the other day on the podcast, um, and the problem I have is I think this is the Achilles heel for this defense. I think it's one of the reasons I don't consider them to be an elite defense right now because the teams that have wanted to run the ball and tried to run the ball against them have been more times than not pretty successful in running the football. It was just a few weeks ago that Seattle came in here and ran it right down their throat to the tune of 181 yards at seven yards per carry. And I think that Ronald Jones and the Buccaneers are going to look at that defense and say, well, we're not going to drop back and throw it 30 times and put, you know, Brady in harm's way against Chase Young and Montez Sweat and anybody else that's coming. Um, we're going to stay balanced, and they can with Ronald Jones. He's a very good back. Um, Washington has to stop the run and make them one-dimensional or they're not going to get off the field as much as they've been getting off the field on defense. They're going to give up too, more, too many points and they are not going to be able to score uh, enough to win the game. Stop the run, make Brady one-dimensional, and then you've got a chance. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. We talked about that in the week. I actually think they will be able to stop the run in this football game. I, I just I, I don't see Tampa is a team that can really run it, Kev. When you watch them, they're not built to really run it. They they run it because they're supposed to run the football. But look, week in and week out, they're not really running the football. Yep. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I mean, other than I think one week against Carolina where they had over 500 yards of offense, they, they ran it for, for over 200. Yeah, the, jo- the next jo- Jones had nearly 200 yards in that game. But the next game high is like in the 150s. They're not built to run it. They don't want to run it. Leftwich is a play caller, doesn't run it that much. They have big-time weapons at receiver, and they're going to try to throw the ball. And yet Ronald Jones averages 5.1 yards per carry. And missing, oh, I like Ronald Jones. And missing games this year, he still rushed for nearly 1,000 yards. Not that a thousand yards. But that's like saying great, McKissick's but... going to average four yards a carry or five yards a carry when you're you're not expecting. No, it Jones much. carries it more as a first down back than. McKissick. I know that. Yeah. I understand that. Okay. I've watched Tampa. Yeah. I understand that. But all right, I, I'm totally with you. If you allow them to be a multi-dimensional team, and then you allow them to start setting up some run action stuff, and now our pass rush isn't as dynamic because they have to 
transition from run to pass. And now, and you got Antonio Brown out there running double moves on Kendall Fuller. Yeah, we're in trouble. Yeah. Uh, no, by the I'm way, totally for those busy. that missed it the other day, and I played it actually on the radio show today, and I know a lot of people did miss the podcast, obviously, from two days ago for obvious reasons. Um, if you didn't listen to the podcast, I'd urge you before the game tomorrow night to go back and listen to that one too. Cooley had some really interesting information about Kendall Fuller and double moves, um, and he really thinks that Kendall Fuller is vulnerable to double moves and thinks that Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, and Byron Leftwich are going to try to throw the ball deep on double moves on Kendall Fuller tomorrow night. All right, what's your next key? My second key is somebody outside is going to have to make some plays in this game. Terry McLaurin could be the guy. It could be Cam Sims. It might be Robert Foster. But somebody outside is going to have to find a way to make some plays. I look at Tampa Bay, and I see Devin White and Levante David, both at inside backer, and I see a bad matchup for what Washington has gotten away with a lot on offense, which is that underneath short stuff where now McKissick's running after the catch where Logan Thomas is turning it up. These guys are both so good, and they can blitz as well, and Tampa will do some stuff where they'll have some things bailing back into it. Bulls is going to understand exactly where – Alex or Heineke is going to go with the ball. Heineke changes things up a little bit because nobody knows where Heineke is actually going to go with the ball. Like that's the one thing about Heineke is there is a wild card to what this offense is with Heineke. Mm-hmm. But somebody outside, Kev, is going to have it's going to come down to guys making a couple plays. Can Terry McLaurin catch the slant and shake Winfield Jr. and take it for forty? Can Cam Sims run the deep crosser and? All of a sudden, get in front of the safety, you know, make a guy miss and take it for 60. This offense, it's just, it's so hard, especially against a team like Tampa that can score, to have four total scoring possessions or four possessions that actually lead you onto the other side of the field and win a football game. Just, I just don't see it that way against Tampa this week. Now, obviously, there are extenuating circumstances again the defense could sack tom brady seven times and he could fumble it twice and then he could get panicked and throw some picks and and that might be part of the how they win this game right but if i see it playing out the way i think it will it's not going to be that it's going to be tom brady knowing and how to get rid of the ball when to get rid of the ball and they're going to have to find ways to shut him down which which means offensively they have to find a way to make plays that's how they're going to score against this team are great individual efforts Yeah, it's funny um, because you mentioned Robert Foster, and I had him in my notes this morning during the radio show, and I don't think I ever got to him because – my um, one of my keys, and I'll and I'll jump to this one because it was going to be another defensive key, but it sort of dovetails off of what you said. I, I think that that they're going to have to throw the ball down the field. They're going to have to have intermediate shots for sure, and maybe some deep shots because I just I just think Todd Bowles. I think the world of him is a defensive mind and a coordinator. They have talent. You know, not having Devin White is going to help Washington. Don't no, no no doubt about it. But I just don't see him looking at this team and looking at Alex Smith in particular and not sitting down waiting for Jake uh, JD McKissick to catch. You know, check down throws or for everything that's going horizontally, them not ready ready for that. They're going to force. 
you know, uh, Alex Smith to beat them with in- intermediate or deep throws. And then, you know, I was thinking about this, and it's like, okay, well, if they're going to have to do that and they're going to have to take shots, who are they going to take shots to? And that's when I wrote down Robert Foster. You know, because if Terry McLaurin, first of all, even if he is healthy, that's going to be the guy that they bracket and they focus on. So it's going to be somebody else that you're going to take deep shots to. But I think they've got to have early shots downfield, early success in loosening up that defense. Because if they don't, the way they've possessed the football for 10, 11 weeks now and it is by, you know, checking it down and running horizontal plays and, you know, and getting into those, you know, keeping ahead of the chains, con- putting themselves into position to converting third downs. And I don't know that Todd Bowles is going to let him do that. I think he's going to say, beat us deep. Let's see it. Let's see you beat us deep. And they're going to have to make them respect that early in the game. Um, Because here's the thing, too, Cooley. Tampa Bay is number one in the league in rush defense. They not only are they number one, they're number one by ten yards a game. Okay, number number two uh, is the Rams at ninety yards allowed per game. Tampa's number one. I, I, I want to emphasize that because people who don't look at you know numbers and stats um, uh, when it comes to football, that is just such a wide margin statistically to be the number one rush defense in the league, allowing eighty point six yards per game, with the second best rush defense at ninety. 90.5 yards per game. You just don't see that. You know, as an example, last year's rush defense numbers, actually last year, Tampa, God, man, uh, last year Tampa was the number one rush defense in the NFL by 13 yards, my fault. Um, but typically you see something like you saw in 2018. The Bears had the number one rush, uh, rush defense allowing 80 yards. The Saints were number two at 80.2. Houston was number three at 82.7. Baltimore was number four at 82.9. They're much closer. A 10-yard difference is really quite remarkable. By the way, how about Todd Bowles? Two years in a, in a row, I didn't realize this until I just pulled it up. Two years in a row, number one rush defense uh, in the NFL. And here's the one thing we've learned about Scott Turner this year. He's like his dad. He doesn't try to force what he does well down a defense's throat. He tries to attack a defense's weaknesses and stay away from a defense's strengths. We've seen that all year long. The only games that they've tried to run it in were against teams that were terrible against stopping the run. Example, Dallas twice. Teams that are really good at stop or stopping the run, he's not going to try to run it that much. If, if he does, no. it's a change in tendency. And Bowles is going to see that, and he's going to understand how they've moved the ball, and he's going to sit on that. So key number two for me is they're going to have to stretch the field. I don't know if they can or not, to your point. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it or not, or with whom they will do it. But they're going to have to take some shots and complete some intermediate and long throws in this game. The one thing I would say is that I don't see him getting it through – a, a run-action-style offense. Right. So how would they get it? They're going to have to get some shots by mixing things up and early down the distances, which is, to me, another real key to Turner in this offense getting better and winning a lot of games is 
better first down offense balance with some more screens, more stuff where you get some of those wide receiver runs. They don't have to be reverses, Kevin. We understand that. It could be Terry McLaurin on a fly sweep. It could be Antonio Gibson motioning out of the backfield and having the little college screen. It could be there's a multitude of things that they can do to mix and balance in first down situations. But the way they've run the ball, and especially when they've not really tried to run the ball against good teams, they don't. I'm never going to buy that you're going to st- that you're going to pound it down my throat. Right. Like this team for me to buy if I was Bulls for me to buy that they're actually going to run it. It's got to be on first and second down situations, running down situations, like 60 plus percent runs and effective runs in the first half of this game before I go into halftime and go, "Huh, no shit." They actually are going to try to run the ball on <laughs> And you'd have to see multiple tight ends out there. Like Sprinkle and, and Thomas and Ball would have to be out there a lot. I don't need to see multiple tight ends, to be completely honest with okay. you. I don't. It could be 11 personnel and a commitment to running the football. But I, until I see 60% run and them really trying to pound it in the first half and, Kevin, also having success. Exactly. Pounding the football. And by success, I don't just mean you're averaging 5.2 yards per carry, but you put up nine points or six points in the first half. Like, you, those, those run drives have to result in points drives. Because if they're going to run it in the first half and end up with six points, two field goals, I, I'm going to sit here and go, keep running it. But I, I don't won't even, beat me that way. I don't even – I, I so think we're wasting time talking about this because it's not going to happen. It would be the well, biggest. The only reason I break. say this is because they, with Gibson, there's something there. Agreed. And his ability to bounce some of the tight zone looks that, that most teams don't see in a back. And his improvement in vision. And this offensive line can get after it a little bit in terms of running the football. Rudy has gotten so much better with the zone stretch stuff. Sheriff's a monster. Morgan, when he's healthy, and he has been getting healthier lately, has really been getting good movement up front. Schweitzer's a guy that I think is technically very good. They can run it. And they've been good with gap scheme stuff as well. They've mixed in some gap scheme and have had some nice success. The only reason I'm playing this game is because they can run it. And with Devin White out, I mean, maybe – Maybe Turner will look at them without Devin White, who, by the way, has been an absolute stud for them all year long, and he's out. He is definitely out. They still have right. Levante David. All right, They still have, and, and more likely than not, we'll have Shaq Barrett back, and they're really good up front. Um, but Devin White was their, was their star you know, run stopper, um, by the way, with speed, too, and playmaker uh, as well. Um, what did he end up with sacks-wise? He ended up with a, a shitload of sacks. But um, maybe you're right. By the way, I think like this team is built to run against your your five DBs against your nickel, and I would run on third and eight against nickel defense. You know, I would do some of that, especially if it's Alex. I you, you've got to you've got to do it when they're not expecting it. They've just been too good at stopping the run. Maybe it'll be different without Devin White, but I doubt it. You'd run it on third and eight. Sure, I would. I think I think you know you're going you, for it on fourth down. Do you know who Do you know who does that a lot? And I love it. Two, the, two of our favorite people. McVeigh does it a lot. McVeigh and Kyle. They basically, when they see nickel or, or even more than nickel, it can be third in anything less than 10, and they will try to run it. They'll pitch it out to Mostert, or they'll pitch it out to Akers and say, go get it. And it's not because they're planning on going it forward on fourth down. It's because they it's think they can get it. 
chance play to get the first down. Yeah, and by the way, you know who did that a lot as a coordinator? Norv Turner. Norv Turner used to run it on third and six so much against nickel defense. So much. So uh, anyway, I, I I don't see I don't see them. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I think it's funny the way you said it. It's like if you're Todd Bowles, it's like I'm gonna have to see it sixty percent of the time on first and second down, and you're gonna have to have more than six points. I actually disagree with that last part. If they only had six points and the score was seven to six, and they had the ball for nineteen minutes to Brady's eleven minutes, I mm-hmm. think you'd not want to see that again in the second half. Nope. I I wouldn't get beat over the top. I'd stick with it. I only as a coordinator, I give up six points in the first half. If I go into this game, if I'm Todd Bowles, and we say you're Bruce Arians, and I'm Todd Bowles, and I say, Coach, can you win if I hold them to twelve points? <laughs> I understand that part, but but what if what if he, what if Todd asks Coach uh, Arians, Hey, Coach, can you win if I hold him to twelve points, but you only get the ball for six total possessions in the game? Kevin, excuse me, Bruce. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get more than six possessions. Can I, I assure you of that? Not if, if you're holding we only him get to twelve six points. possessions, and we go down because of Washington's running game. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such a ridiculous thing, but God, you know what? It's such a formula in the postseason, and it's just not the way Washington's built. You know, it's such a formula when you're not a great team to hang around and have a chance, and that is to be able to run the football and possess the football. They've possessed the football. You know, it just hasn't been by running the football, so I don't know why we would expect that tomorrow. I don't think we'll. We, I wouldn't expect it. And yeah. That's what I'm saying. Bulls is not going to expect it, which is why I go back to my second point, which is I think somebody's going to have to make a play, either in the shorter intermediate pass game where you break a tackle and you you take something to the house. What about using Gibson on a deep route? Why not? Who could you get Gibson matched up on? What kind of personnel could you get Gibson ma- in, in a really favorable matchup? So one of the things that I was actually thinking about for this game is you have that McKissick-Gibson backfield, right? Yeah. And then you send McKissick out in motion in the fly motion deal, and you send him up the numbers. And then Gibson comes out of the backfield, and he goes just up the hash on a four verts type of look where you get distribution with McKissick up the numbers or, you know what I mean? Andy Reid has done a heck of a job with it. A lot of teams do it where they, they add to the four verts or the vertical combination, which is a staple of the Coriel Turner system, four verts. And they run it a lot. Right. Where you send both of those backs vertical down the seams. And then, by the way, you can still bring like Cam Sims back underneath on the shallow cross almost like he did last week, use those as almost picks, and they have a decision. Does the quarter follow the cross? And if he does, then we got an option splitting the safety with those two seams. There's a lot of things. The problem that he's having with these backs right now is he's not threatening anybody vertical with the backs in the passing game. I know. So we know that if they're going to catch it, it's within five yards. We just got to come up and tackle you got to find a way to threaten vertical with these backs, and the seams are a good way to do it. Also, some corner route stuff out of the backfield is really impactful. There's so much they could do, should do, with what's like a 21 personnel. That's what it would be, right? Two backs, one yeah. tight end. Yeah. Should be 
I mean, they have that's your best. That's your best eleven. I think that would be really uh, that would be something different, right? To see what you just described. We haven't seen Turner do that. We rarely see them on the field at the same time. The two backs. Uh, well, there, there came a point in the middle of the season where there was a game or two that there were there were at least ten plays a game where they were both on the field. I, I mean, it's not like you. If one of them gets hurt, the game's over. Either you, you play the game with. You have Barber as well. Yeah. So I, I just think that that's a way to get the ball down the field. And that's a unexpected way to get the ball down the field because they haven't done it. I just maybe once or twice you've seen McKissick way outside with like a hitch and go or a double move outside. But other than that, there's been nothing vertical with the backs in the middle. <clears throat> yeah, and, you've, and one of your backs was a receiver in college. Um, all right, my, you know, th- there's a lot of the obvious, you know, they can't turn the ball over. They may need, they may need to be plus one, plus two. They need the, the breaks on the penalties. This is a team that isn't a chunk team. So you can't be in second and 15s or first and 20s. You know, you can't be in that. They can, you know, Tampa Bay can overcome first and 20 or second and 17. Uh, Washington can't, but I think, you know, Brady loses in the postseason when he gets pressured from the interior. And so mm-hmm. a key to this game is making Brady uncomfortable with interior pressure. Now, you can probably speak to how you would generate that. It doesn't have to be Deron Payne and John Allen and Tim Settle. It can be Ryan Kerrigan. It can be stunts with uh, Chase Young and Montez Sweat. It can be pressure five-man, six-man, where you're getting Bostic or you're getting Holcomb. Or, you know, it would be nice to have, you know, KPL back for this game because he's got some speed and he's gotten after the quarterbacks this year. But, you know, Brady, and I was looking through this late last night, it's just amazing his pro uh, his pro football reference. Yeah, um, you're going to go back to 2000? No, it's just, it's just amazing to look at his playoff game log. You know, this is going to be his 42nd playoff game. He's 30 and 11 as a playoff starter. He's thrown for 11,388 yards in the playoffs. He's got 73 touchdown passes in the playoffs. You know what else he has? He's got 35 interceptions in 41 playoff games. And when Brady's had a difficult time winning um, in the postseason, it's because of interior pressure, getting him off his mark. And we've seen this with Brady before. It's it's not, you know, the, the typical, obviously, but he will take sacks and he will throw interceptions. He will put it up for grabs, which, by the way, defensively, you got to catch him. He's going to put one or two up there for you. There's going to be one or two balls, especially if you're getting pressure on him. But over the years, it's interior pressure. And, you know, you only have to look at the two Super Bowls and Justin Tuck, you know, and what the Giants were able to do with interior pressure and getting him off his mark. You know, there was a game um, a few years ago where they played Houston, actually, in the postseason. And, there, it, it, you know, that was a Bill O'Brien-Houston team. It was a wild-card weekend game, and I'm trying to find it right here off of his log um, because all I remember is that Houston got a lot of pressure in that game up the middle, and he was off. They won the game. Hold on here. Here it is. Um, I think this is the game. 
34 to 16 New England. Okay, it was 17-13 at halftime. Brady in the game. This was the game. Brady in the game had two interceptions and was sacked four times in the game. Now, Houston had a very good defense. A really, really good defense. Unfortunately for them, Brock Osweiler was the quarterback. But I remember that game because it was another example of if that other team had had something offensively, this was the kind of game that where Brady's been, you know, where you've gotten Brady. You know, he's two and four in road games in the postseason since 2005. Now, this isn't a true road game, obviously, tomorrow night. But interior pressure is everything. You might be able to add um, on that in terms of how you would scheme up interior pressure rather than just relying on Payne and Allen to get it. Um, but you have to get him off his mark. And if you do that, he's going to give you some opportunities. He will, he'll take some sacks and he'll throw some balls up into the air and you got to catch him. And, uh, he's done that this year. He's when he's been pressured this year in the regular season, he's had some, he's had some big, you know, uh, interception games, you know, he threw 12 picks during the regular season and against those really good defensive teams like new Orleans, uh, and the Rams, he had multiple picks in those games. He had he had he threw five picks against the Saints this year in two games. Against the Rams, he threw two picks in that game. Um, but it's all about getting him off his mark because nobody's been better over the years uh, against edge pressure, stepping up and finding the extra time in the pocket and making the throws. The funny thing is, is my last key to this game. Yes, is. Hold Tom Brady to under 65% passing and add three sacks. In any game that they've lost, he's been under 65%. He was 54% against the Rams, 57 against New Orleans once, 63 against New Orleans another time, 65 against Kansas City, and 60 against Chicago. And in three of those games, he was sacked three times. What's Hold your... them under 65%. You got a chance to win this game. God, I'm looking through the losses in the postseason here on this postseason log. I mean, you nailed it. I mean, you freaking nailed it. They lost to Tennessee last year, 54%. <clears throat> had an interception in the game. Um, they're lost to Philadelphia in the Super Bowl, 58% uh, in the game. Uh, they're lost to Denver uh, in the AFC title game in 2016, 48% passing two interceptions their loss to Denver um uh the the his his the last loss before that was 26-16 to Denver 63 percent sacked twice Baltimore when they lost in the AFC title game 53 percent two interceptions um yeah the giant now the the second giant Super Bowl he was over 65 percent he was also sacked three times and he had an interception the first giant Super Bowl loss 60 percent sacked five times it's um it's the formula man it, and it but it's usually because of interior pressure not edge pressure he's just the reason that you sense that is i don't think there's anybody better at that quick shoulder turn step up stay alive in the pocket rivers is great at it Peyton, he knows how Peyton to survive Peyton in the was pocket great at it who? Peyton was great at it. Oh, Peyton was great at it. Yeah. Well, the other thing, if you want to get pressure, like I'm sitting here watching this Falcons game again. The first touchdown's a deep ball to Antonio Brown. 
last week. Yeah. He comes across the field in motion, and they get a linebacker, Olakun, matched up on him running a wheel route down the sideline. <laughs> Don't get in bad matchups. He'll find them. Well, they've got a lot of people that they put out there. I know, but you can't, you can't get in matchups where you have a linebacker running with Antonio Brown. Well, that's why you've got to get immediate pressure. And the clo- and the, the shortest uh, – this- You're not getting immediate pressure with that, Kev. Shortest distance if between two lines. If you get a backer lines. that starts to carry a receiver, the ball's out. Know, he knows. I know. He doesn't miss those. Mm. You can't. It's not that you're, ju- you're really going to confuse him. But don't give him premier matchups right away. I mean, look, let's be honest. You're not going to be able to cover them if you if he's got any kind of time. Like, you're not covering, you know, Evans if he's healthy, Godwin, Brown, Gronk, um, uh, Brait, and by the way, Ronald Jones. Like and, and by the way, the kid Scotty Miller, who is all you know, who's having a heck of a year, heck of a year, and is just a replica of all of the you know you know s- slot guys that Welker, had <laughs> Amendola, all of them, Amendola, and... all of them. Um, it, it, this is just another one of those that he loves to find, especially in the postseason. Little white five foot eight inch you know slot guy that's going to be open all day. <laughs> I mean, you got to you have to somehow you got to get immediate. Shortest line between two points is a straight line right from the interior and get him off his mark somehow. If not, you just have to possess the football. You know, it's funny as we're talking through this. They don't have much of a chance, do they? No. (laughs) 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 Uh, The gymnastics we're going through here to try to give him a chance. What what else do you have? Here's the chance, okay? Yeah. Dominant. Front four after Brady all day. Stopping the run. Like first down situations, tackle for losses. Just shooting gaps, making plays, backers instinctual, no missed tackles, second and twelves. Then pressure. Second and twelve, and all of a sudden pressure. <clears throat> There's your chances. Yeah. But you're gonna have to get him in bad spots. You know, what they did to Roethlisberger. Now, keep in mind, Pittsburgh didn't even try to run the football. And they had eight drops in the game. And they had a bunch of drops in the game, but they really did make Roethlisberger uncomfortable in that game. You know, and then, you know, in that last drive, they made him so uncomfortable, the ball gets popped up and deflected, and you get the interception, and it's game over. Like, that's really – you've got to make Brady look like the way you made Roethlisberger, you know, Ben look down the stretch. I, the, I I have one other thing I wanted to throw in here. Um, I think I I think I discussed this with you on the last podcast, so I won't I won't go long. Gibbs always pulled out you know the the tricks in the postseason. Riverboat Ron goes for it. All right, I, they're going to have to come up with a couple of wrinkles here and probably a trick play or two to uh you know to to stay on the field with a fake punt or a fake field goal or a you know a a, a wide receiver pass 
Um, you know, Logan Thomas is the obvious choice for some sort of trick play on offense. So maybe you have to be careful on that one because they'll be expecting it. But uh, you need you need uh, he's going to do something. There's going to be a trick play or two. He's going to pull out all of the stops. I think offensively, especially given that you know just conventionally with what they have and the condition they're in, it it's not going to be you're not going to be able to score 27 points with what you have. You're going to have to come up with a little bit more. Totally agree. Somebody's going to – either you got great individual efforts and guys making big-time plays, or you have some some trickery. You get some tricky numbers. I promise you're not, you're not going to have the throwback to the quarterback play in this week with Alex. <laughs> yeah, that one probably not. But by the way, would that shock them? Oh my God! Wait a minute. He's throwing to Alex Smith, oh and then they're God. like, "No, we'll still get it. We'll still get there. It's okay. Let him go." Do you did you play in the game against Pittsburgh on the road when somebody threw a pass to RG three and he got blown up? Do you remember the play I'm talking about in 2012? Yeah, that was my first game back. It was. Yep. And and people were outraged by it. Like, what are you doing with our star quarterback, Mike? Who threw the pass? I, I can't remember who threw the pass. I don't remember who threw the pass either. I'm – I don't know. Actually, I just found it. Who was it? Was it Josh? Uh... Yes, very good. Josh Morgan threw the pass. Josh Morgan, the worst kickoff return guy of all time. <laughs> Josh Morgan, the guy. Wasn't he the one that got the penalty that year against the Rams um, that knocked Jeff Yeah, Gilgore the end of the game. Yeah. Can he return punts? We should call him, though. <laughs> By the way, um, Rivera was asked about that uh, yesterday. He was asked about Sims Jr. and returning punts, and I'm looking for the quote right now because I'm going to read it to you. But basically, it was kind of – Did he tell me he said Cole Luke? No, he didn't. That would have been. I'll funny. lose my mind if Cole Luke goes back there. That would have been really funny. Um, if he, if Cole Luke goes back there, I'm taking all credit. This is what he said. Somebody said, "What about Steven Sims Jr.? Are you concerned about him in the punt return game?" And he said, "Well, he's the best we've got. He's had a lot of success doing it. I know he hasn't." Um, and then, then, and then Ron said, "So now he did have that fumble, which you were, which you just reminded me of. Hey, Ron." He's the guy that cost you the Carolina game. Are you kidding me? That was only two weeks ago. He muffed it. They scored a touchdown, and then he almost blew it last week. He could have very nearly cost you the Philly game. Yeah, you might not be. You might have not had a chance to answer that question this week. Um, if if he hadn't recovered, although Philadelphia would have just taken four knees. Um, he said, uh, but I'll tell you right now, I'm looking out my window, and guess who's out there catching extra kicks? He's been doing it. It's Steven. He's working, and he's trying to allow that to happen. It's a very tough thing, especially in the weather that we've had and the field conditions that we've had, but that's football. If we had a better alternative, I would go to it, but we don't. We have a well, real... that's giving your guy a lot of confidence this <laughs> I know, week. I know. And then he, said, then he followed it up with, but we have a really good one that I'm confident in. Uh, right after he said, if we had a better alternative, I would go to it, but we don't. Um, mm-hmm. So there you go. I mean, he's going to be back there on punts. Man, Cole Luke, baby. Wouldn't it be great if you had like a Santana Moss that you could throw back there in a, in a playoff game? Daryl Green. I mean, I Santana Moss, when he – I always thought Santana Moss – 
Santana Moss, when he went back there, it was always a big spot when he went back there. I, I always thought there was a chance he was going to take it to the house. I don't Every single time he went back there. Yeah. Who was the guy? Um, who was the freaking guy that was really a great returner with uh, on the Shanahan teams? Uh, um, uh, Brandon Banks. Brandon Banks. Oh, yeah. Let's call him. Where's Brandon Banks these days? God, he was a lethal returner. And by the way, he could throw the football. I, th- I think they used him to throw it a couple times. Um. Anyway, what else? Uh, I've given you mine. I, I'm. I've given you mine. Okay. Uh, we'll take a break. When we come back, smell test, lock of the week. We'll go through some of the other games. I am going to ask Cooley a little bit later on about Deshaun Watson. Okay? I will ask him about that. Um, and I will give you my thoughts on that as well. Uh, back with the smell test lock of the week right after this word from one of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, uh, the smell test last week, remember, Cooley, I was very hesitant to give out anything officially because of the craziness of the final uh, weekend of the year. And it's a good thing that I um, uh, changed all of the plays on Sunday before kickoff. I ended up giving out two games. I gave out Denver and I gave out Chicago. So I went one and one um, last week. Uh, I think if I had stuck with the games that I gave out Friday, it would have been a losing weekend. So I'm glad uh, I was off that. Look, there's six games this weekend. I love this. I love the playoff change, the expansion. It's not too much of an expansion by one team. It gives you what is going to become. I really believe this. This is going to become one of the top two or three sports weekends of the year. I mean, it, it, the, the first two rounds of the playoffs wildcard weekend, weekend and divisional round weekend, which is next weekend, were always great. But now that you have two extra games and a triple header on Saturday and Sunday, I mean, this is going to be phenomenal. Um, of the six games, I'm going to tell you right now up front, I, personally, I think I'm just going to play every underdog. Uh, this weekend. Now, in the smell test, there are four that fit the criteria of major public action on the other side combined with some sharp action on the non-public side. There are four games that fit that criteria. The first one is the first game of the weekend, which is tomorrow at 1 o'clock, Colts at Buffalo. 
Right now, um, the Buffalo Bills. I can't find a pl- uh, a seven uh, a seven point spread anywhere. All right, so I wish I could, and I will play this at plus six and a half today, and that's the number I'm going to give out. There's actually some plus sixes out there. This is why I'm really, really feeling good about this particular play. Buffalo is a major public play tomorrow, and yet the line's been coming down this week. Okay, there is sharp action on the Colts. Why? Cooley's told you they're very well coached. They're very good defensively. And this is um, this is, and they've got a veteran quarterback with a running back in Jonathan Taylor, who's really, really coming on. If I could find a seven somewhere, I'd give it out as a smell test uh, plus seven, but I can't, so I'm going to stick with Indy plus six and a half. But by the half point to get it to seven, I'm going to do the same thing. Um, but for the purposes of the smell test, Indianapolis is your first play plus six and a half. Game two tomorrow, Rams at Seahawks. The Rams are three and a half point underdogs. The public loves Seattle. This line has come down a little bit too. It was four, four and a half. There's a lot of sharp money on the Rams. I have no idea why, because personally, if I were evaluating and analyzing this game and didn't wager uh, the way I wager, I just don't think the Rams have enough offense. Well, there's there's been blood in the water, and the Sharks are out. I know. The Sharks... It's, it's because Goff's going to play. But to me, that doesn't make any difference. That Goff played against Seattle a couple of weeks ago, and they could only manage nine points. He was hurt the whole game. I know he was, Cooley, but they haven't been good offensively with Goff anyway all year. There are times that they have. Uh, look... They were really good on offense against us. Let me just tell you something. Seriously. The public loves Russell Wilson and D.K. Metcalf, and you know who else loves Russell Wilson and D.K. Metcalf? I do. But the Rams fit the smell test criteria, so I'm going to have the Rams tomorrow because, again, for those of you that are just new to this, one of the, the, the basis, the, the whole philosophy behind the smell test is we know nothing. And the people that build all those big hotels in Las Vegas and run these big offshore books, they do know something. The line's coming down, and yet every single John Q. public uh, football better thinks that Seattle's going to win the game big. I'll take the Rams plus three and a half. Um, Tomorrow night, Washington fits the smell test criteria. The line's eight and a half right now, and the public loves the Buccaneers. Uh, They don't give Washington with Alex Smith or Taylor Heineke any chance at all of winning this game or covering in this game. Uh, I know we just went through all of these reasons that it's going to be very tough against Tampa, but that doesn't matter. Um, uh, Washington plus eight and a half, pick number three. Let's go to Sunday. Uh, the, there is one team this weekend in terms of money line wagers that has been bet, uh, less than any other. And it's the Chicago bears. They are also a big anti-public plus 10 underdog. I'll take the bears plus 10 against the saints. Here's the thing that I like about Chicago and just thinking about Mm -hmm. the bears. They are very, very good defensively and they can rush the passer. And when breeze is under siege, he's got major issues this year, even more so than he ever has. I could see the Bears being very competitive in this game. Now, the Saints defensively are awesome, too. And Kamara can play because it's Sunday, not Saturday. So he's, you know, he will have fulfilled his COVID 19 quarantine um, timeframe. Uh, 
that's a problem. Uh, you know, they have the Saints finished up their year against bad defensive football teams, the Chiefs, the Vikings, the Panthers, and they rolled up some really good offensive numbers. They lost they lost the Chiefs game. Uh, they haven't faced a, de- de- a decent defense since the Philadelphia game when Philadelphia was healthy for that game and they lost that game. You know, that was Jalen Hurts' first start. They lost that yeah. game. I think the Bears are going to give New Orleans more problems than people think, and I could easily see a 17 to 10, you know, 21 to, to 13 kind of game here. Um, you know, 24, you know, 24, 16 kind of a game. So the Bears are the fourth pick. So the smell test, four plays. Uh, by the way, I've worked my way back to three games under 500. At one point, I was 15 games under 500. Been really hot recently. Um, I'm going to have to make up some ground. I'm not giving you four games this weekend, four out of the six, because I'm trying to make up ground. It's because they fit the the criteria. The Colts plus six and a half by the half point. The Rams plus three and a half. Washington plus eight and a half. And the Bears plus 10. All right. Uh, your lock of the week. Rams. My lock of the week is the Rams. I'm sitting here on covers.com looking at a plus three mark for um, the Rams. Okay. Well, but when you're I, saying it's a three, you're giving me three and a half right now. Well, three and a half was where I gave it out this morning. Let me, let me check to see where it is on a couple of different sites. If I can find enough three and a halves, I'm going to give out three and a half. Um, you get three and a half. I took three and a half. You get three and a half. Look, I was I was looking everywhere for a plus seven on Indy. I can't find that anywhere. Um, I see some plus threes out there. You're right. I see some plus threes. That you know that's encouraging to me. That is shark money, as as some of our listeners would say. <laughs> that is shark money um, that's bringing that down. That's not public money. The public loves Seattle. I got a, I, you know, I got a note last night from one of my offshore people. They know to send me my information on Thursday nights because they know I do the smell test on the show on Friday. And the Rams are a major anti-public play, you know. And, and look, you can just intuitively, right? You you can look at the games and the matchups this weekend, and you know that you, you know you're the average fan thinks that Tampa Bay's going to win big, that Buffalo's going to win big, that Russell Wilson's going to win big, that the Saints are going to win big. You know that th- those are that that's when all of your friends who don't bet. Uh, or just bet a little bit. Think you know that the 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 Seahawks are going to blow out the Rams, or Tampa's going to blow out the Wa- Washington. That's usually a telltale sign. Um, you've got the Rams plus three and a half, sir. I've got enough three and a halves here. You don't have to take the three. You get the extra half point. I just think people forget about the matchup with the Rams and how well they match up with Seattle. Jalen Ramsey has done a hell of a job against DK Metcalf this year. Metcalf had four catches in their last game. Or, excuse me, two catches on four targets. Like, Ramsey will lock him down. No, they didn't. He had six catches for 59 yards against the Rams three weeks ago or two weeks ago or whenever that was. Three what weeks. am I looking at? I don't know. Metcalf well, had six way, catches for 59 He's not rolling up the yards. Well, they never ro- – you're, you're right. I mean, the Rams defensively, for whatever reason, they have Seattle's number. I mean, they constantly hold Seattle to a low total. Yep. Rams have done a heck of a job with Troy Hill at corner and Ramsey at the other corner. This kid Fuller, Jordan Fuller, who's a rookie, has been absolutely outstanding. So John Johnson's free safety, he was 
I think this is his third year, if not his second year, third year. He's one of my favorite safeties in the league. We know who they are up front. Aaron Donald's amazing. Joseph Day's been great. Morgan Fox has been great. Leonard Floyd's been absolutely great. Absolutely great. The kid they took from Chicago. Floyd was a first-round pick yeah, for Chicago. Yeah, Georgia, right? And, and he's been really impactful for the Rams this year. They can still run it. The Rams can still run it. This will be a battle. This Rams-Seattle game is going to be a battle. There's some fun games, man. I like Buffalo to win the game, but I think Indy keeps that game close because I think they run the ball. That's the one game I do think could result in a blowout for Buffalo, just the way that they've been playing. I know. Which is why I wouldn't play that game because I think Buffalo could really run it up. I feel this, I feel totally the same way. I mean, I p- picked them as one of the teams that I think could win the Super Bowl, but that's precisely why I have to play Indy because the line's under seven, Cooley. They are just absolutely begging you to lay the six, six and a half with the Bills. The Bills have annihilated people here recently. I know. I know. Uh, I, but the thing is, is well, here's, here's the reason that I don't think they're really begging you. Because the Colts are really good. Yeah, but it's under a touch. The Colts are a really good defense with a competent quarterback and a hell of a running game. They're not – it's not just – it's not last year's Colts. It's not the Andrew Luckless Colts. I understand They're that. They're really good. I understand that. The line, so the that's line where is I'm perceived like, short by the public. It's perceived as the under seven with the Bills scoring sure. 56 in their last – the Bills' last three results, 48-19, 38-9, and 56-26. to It's always about the recent impressions. And the recent impression of Buffalo is that they are unstoppable and that they can score 40 against anybody. And you know what? If they, they can. I know they can. Oh god! But I don't think they'll score forty against the Colts. What's the uh, the over under fifty two in that game? Yeah. Well, the Colts can score, Cooley. The Colts can score too. You know, and look, Buffalo's last couple of of of, of opponents, you know, Miami, New England, and Denver can't score. So, you know, they're playing their first opponent here recently that can score. Indy can really score. They they had a game a few weeks ago against um, – I was on the other side of this game. I was on the wrong side of this game. It was the Raiders because it was in Vegas. And they – I mean, the Raiders stink as it turns out. Um, and, and by the way, where they scored 40-something against Vegas. And in the game where they should have clinched their playoff berth, they were rolling it up on Pittsburgh's defense a few weeks ago, and they gave up a 24-7 lead. Um, I uh, – I don't know how it's going to happen. I can tell you this, like from a rooting interest after Washington on Saturday night, that's my next favorite route uh, for a team because I'm a big Phillip Rivers fan. And so I'd love to see him pull off the upset. It's funny because I really enjoy watching Buffalo too and Josh Allen. And I think a Buffalo-Kansas City AFC championship game would be really interesting. Really interesting. Or a Buffalo-Baltimore game next uh, next weekend would be pretty interesting if that happened. Um, although it really would be Kansas. If the seeding holds up, uh, and, but Baltimore is a five, beats um, Tennessee as a four, it will be Kansas City-Baltimore next weekend. But anyway. That's my favorite route for a game because I love Josh Allen. I know you do. And I love Stephon Diggs. He's great. I just I love Stephon Diggs. I, I see. I, and I honestly, I'm a huge Sean McDermott fan. You always have been. Why? I forget why. The head coach for the Bills. 
Why? Because he was one of the toughest defensive coordinators that we played against. When he was, when he was the D coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles. He knows how to coach. He knows how to operate with players. I know I've met McDermott 10 times. I think he's been awesome every time I've ever had any conversation with him. I just maybe that maybe that's part of it. You know, a lot of times you know somebody a little bit. Right. And you just you want to root for him. But I think Frank Reich, I like Frank Reich, too. I do, too. I think he's done an amazing job. You know he's a Terp, right? You knew that. I knew that. Had the biggest yeah. comeback in the history of college football. Down 31 nothing in the Orange Bowl. <laughs> Never say die, Frank Reich. Miami, and then he did the same thing in the NFL as a backup quarterback in Buffalo. Um, that's, that's insanity. I know. So, I don't know. This weekend, I just I want to tell my wife to leave for a couple days. Well, I was going to ask you, what are you – I'm I'm in the clear. I mean, I'm in the clear from, you know, tomorrow at 1 o'clock until tomorrow night at, you know, midnight, and the same thing on Sunday. I can't wait. You know, the last game of the weekend, Cleveland-Cincinnati, is the least attractive of the games, in my opinion, because of what's going on in Cleveland. I, You know... Cleveland-Pittsburgh. Cleveland, what did I say? Cincinnati. My fault. <laughs> Cleveland-Pittsburgh. Yes. I, I really feel for Kevin Stefanski... God, I really feel for him. I, if there was a way to allow him to be able to coach from, you know, a booth or something, I don't know why they can't pull that off. I don't know why they can't pull that off. Why can't he? Yeah, be, why, why can't he walk into the stadium separately and sit up there in a box? Exactly, and call plays. There's plenty of open boxes. I know. I don't know why they that can't happen. I. I you know, it's funny. I almost gave Cleveland out. I just think there's too much uncertainty. I think Pittsburgh's going to be the public play, but there's also some sharp money on Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh seems that second half against Indianapolis, man, was a savior for them. You oh, know, yeah. they, it really was. They whatever they found to 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 rally back from 24-7 down to win that game 28-24, it was huge for them because they were really in trouble. You know, they lost to the Skins, they lost to the Bills, they lost to the Bengals on Monday night. They couldn't score. Um, That game, to me, in many ways, because of the whole Cleveland situation, is the least intriguing, but it'll be a good game. It'll be an interesting game. I think a lot of people probably look at the Bears-Saints game and say, eh, but the Bears, I'm telling you right now, people, they can play some defense. And And they've figured out. With Trubisky, they who have, they are on offense. No doubt. That's the other part of the Bears. They've run it better. They've been more impactful with Trubisky moving around. He's made some throws. He's got his confidence back. He's a different player than he was in the first four weeks before they benched him for fulls. They, they, when he came in and started against the Packers in that Sunday night game, it wasn't very good. It looked like Trubisky. Since then, he's been lights out. I mean, he really has. That game against the Packers last week, which was a smell test pick, Chicago plus four and a half, was a bit misleading in terms of the final score. Chicago had the ball late third quarter driving to take the lead um, in that game. Um, but Trubisky's really uh, – God, I, whenever I mention Trubisky, I don't know why this is, but so many of you out there are like, would you get off Trubisky's jock? I'm not on his jock. Let me just say that. I'm not – it's not like I'm a big Trubisky fan. But what I do think is I think he's a lot better than most of you think. And I think if he's got weapons, which Chicago has rarely had, 
around him. And now with David Montgomery back there, and they've got, you know, Allen Robinson's a good is a good receiver. He has really been on a roll. Over the last five games, he's got seven touchdown passes. He does have three picks. He's also got a bunch of rushing yards, and he's completing like 74% of his passes. They've run a lot of play action stuff, a lot of bootleg stuff, where, by the way, Cooley, on these boots, on these keepers, many times he just keeps it, and he just runs for eight yards and gets out of bounds. He's really fast, really fast. Everyone knew that coming out. Yeah. Um, the Green Bay game last week, and the Packers right now are just on a roll. They just quit. They're they're really good defensively, but they couldn't stop Green Bay. Okay, so maybe they won't be able to stop New Orleans, but I think New Orleans is a different stop than stopping Green Bay right now. But that game in the um, in the fourth quarter was Chicago on the move in the fourth quarter down twenty one sixteen. And they, 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 so they were in that football game. By the way, Cooley, here, here's the, I think I told you about this. It was a crazy drive. The, the whole, the way you're going to beat Green Bay is to keep Aaron Rodgers off the field. And Chicago was doing that. On this drive down 21-16 that ultimately ended in a fourth down miss, they converted, um, the, they, 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 they went for it on fourth down three times on the drive. They converted the first two, and then they were fourth and one at the Green Bay 25 with 11 minutes to go in the game, 21-16, and they, they failed on that uh, third one. Um, which, by the way, if you were playing the fourth down analytics, you know, and it's like you think that there's like a 55, 60%, 65%, well, you converted the first two, maybe you should have kicked the field goal in the third one. Um, but anyway, they were there in that game. The problem was is that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones were exceptional. God, man, Rodgers, right now, the level he's playing at. I, you, you, there's only one way to beat the Packers. I don't care who you are. Keep them the fuck off the field. It's the only <laughs> way to beat them. Everyone knows that. Everyone's going to go into the Green Bay game. That you're playing Green Bay and say, we got to run the ball on first down. we got to run the ball on second down. And if it's third and eight, we might want to run the ball and see if we can get it again. <laughs> see if we can get to fourth and three and run it again. <laughs> the, the Colts were the last team to beat them. Remember, the Colts beat them in overtime. That was a crazy game. Um... All right. Uh, what are the other games we wanted to talk about? That you know the funny thing? Just real quick, we were yeah. talking about the Bears. Their last three games where Trubisky was good, yeah. Houston, Minnesota, Jacksonville. Terrible defenses. All bad, bad defenses. Yes, true. I know that. That's true. Um, it's still, though, if you watched, and there were a couple of those games that I did watch because I was involved um, – I had them against Jacksonville laying, laying the big number, and they covered. Uh, that was not a smell test pick, but I just had him. Um, he really looks like a different guy. He looked, you know, he's one of these guys that I do think has some talent, but I think the the lack of weapons around him has made him really lack confidence and getting pulled and the whole thing. The year they won the division and lost to the Eagles on a missed field goal at the end. 16 to 15 or whatever it was and that's just what two years ago whatever it is he was really good that year I I actually that game to me because Drew Brees if you pressure Drew Brees at the especially the Drew Brees we've seen at this age it can get ugly for them you know they, they they have played they also have played some bad defensive teams here in recent weeks 
Uh, they torched Minnesota on Christmas Day, and he he was good. He was really good in that game. Um, but Breeze, Breeze isn't the same anymore, do you think? I think you do think he is the same. I think he's the same. Yeah, I don't. Well, he's not He's not Drew Breeze at, at 32, but I don't think Drew Breeze is different this year than he has been over the last four years. I think that offense has been catered to – more short stuff, a lot more screen stuff. Kamara's been massively impactful. But it's the thing that I – when I watch the Saints and they need to get the ball down the field or they're in a two-minute situation or that he can. Okay. Not – but but they're, they're getting a good defensive team. By the way, I just did the same thing I did with Brady earlier, just pull up the pro football reference um, postseason game log. You know, you know, Breeze is eight and eight as a playoff quarterback. That's it, eight and eight. And they have definitely lost some games and lost some games at home that um, in recent years they lost Kirk last year. You know, in overtime, the Vikings they lost that NFC Championship game, which okay, they probably shouldn't have lost with the with the non call at the end. Um, but they've lost some playoff games that you didn't expect them to lose. Um, they hadn't been good on defense. That's though. true. Then they are this year, man. They are this year. They have been the last couple years. True. Well, the, but, look, the years that they they weren't good on defense, they didn't go to the playoffs. You know, Drew Brees quarterbacked a seven and nine football team three straight years. You know, it, it's the example I've used in the past because one of my favorite things is when people say, you know, well, what's his record? What's his playoff? You know how how many playoff games? You know Drew Brees is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the game, and they did not go to the playoffs for three straight years. Why? Because the defense sucked, and they went not they went seven and nine, seven and nine. I mean, that's the that's one of the greatest examples of you have a Hall of Fame great quarterback. By the way, still in his prime. Right, and they their defense sucked, and they went seven and nine three straight years. So, it it it's just a such as Joe Theismann says every single time we talk about this. It is the most dependent position in sports. It doesn't matter how great you are; you can be great and not end up being on a winning team. And Drew Brees is the perfect example of it. Well, another good one is this year in Deshaun Watson. True. Because Deshaun Watson is an elite quarterback. He just threw for 4,800 yards. They were the top three offense in the league. Incredible each week offensively. I want to get to him here in a second, but real quickly, let's just rip through the six playoff games. We've talked about some of them, but just all all I want is the winner of the game, okay? Uh, Because I've given you my four smell test picks. Cooley's given you his lock of the week, which is is, uh, Los Angeles, the Rams. Um, let's just go through them one at a time and give me the winner. Just the winner. Bills, Colts. Bills. Um, I'm going to say the Bills, but again, not 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 a cover. I think that's like an overtime, you know, last second game. Rams, Seahawks. Rams. I guess I'm going to pick the Rams. I don't feel it, but the smell test tells me it's the Rams. Um, actually, at plus three and a half. No, I, the, the Seahawks win it by a field goal. <laughs> the the Seahawks win twenty three twenty. Washington, Tampa. Tampa. I got Tampa too. We'll give you a final score prediction coming up. Ravens, Titans. Maybe Titans. the best game of the weekend we haven't talked about. Oh, it's such a good game. 
You got Titans? Titans. I got Ravens. I I wouldn't be surprised if either team wins this game. I'm gonna I, I told you I'm gonna bet six underdogs this weekend. It's gonna be a very close game. Baltimore's a three point favorite on the road. I don't know, man. There's something about these Ravens and the way they run the football. And I know that Tennessee can really run the football with Derrick Henry. I that is a fascinating game. Tennessee knocked Baltimore out last year. They ups they beat Baltimore in the regular season in overtime a month and a half ago or whatever it was, and here they are again matched up uh, in the postseason. Um, Bears Saints. Saints. Yeah, I'm going to say Saints, but obviously I think the Bears are going to cover. Um, Browns Steelers. Steelers. I think something is wrong with Pittsburgh. I'm going to. Give, I know you do. I'm going to give you Cleveland. Even without you know the, you know, I thought a lot more about this game, and I don't know if this could be a good or a bad thing for Cleveland, but Cleveland had to win a football game last week against Pittsburgh, right? And so, one week later, Pittsburgh, one of the best defenses in the league, gets to see the same offense again, right? Game plan and prepare for the exact same offense again, right? Pittsburgh did not play their starters, did not show what they were going to do. Pittsburgh also got to see the Browns' defense, what they've been at this very point. Now, there could be some – Stefanski could do an amazing job and could have prepared for this with tendency breaks across the board for the next week. Could benefit Cleveland. I don't exactly know how this works. I personally, if I played against the same guy two weeks in a row, have such a better feel the next week. I I, I hear you. I'm wondering, I, I think Pittsburgh's at an advantage. I know you think something's wrong with Pittsburgh. They'll be healthier this week. They still are a premier defense right now in the NFL. It's just, what is Baker in this game? He could be awesome. Yeah, I know. Or he could be under pressure and throw two picks that cost him. I think more So like- much to me depends on Baker. I agree with you that it's not going to be a Cleveland win because Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are going for 120 and 80 yards respectively, and they've got 200 yards on the ground. I would agree with that. It's they gonna... might have 200 yards on the ground. It's still going to be on Baker to win that game. Uh, well, I'm saying that they probably won't have it, and Tomlin and company are going to say, go ahead, Baker Mayfield, beat us. Because Pittsburgh does have the ability to stop the run, even against a good running team. I don't. There's just you know you know what's wrong with Pittsburgh is I, there's not a more one-dimensional offensive football team in the league than Pittsburgh, or in the playoffs than Pittsburgh. N- there's no team that has. I haven't even looked this up. I don't think I need to look it up. I don't think there's any team in the league that has a higher run-to-pass ratio. Well, there team. is one team right now. Who? It's Baltimore. That's no, the I'm exact saying, opposite. It, they're one. They're just as one-dimensional as Pittsburgh I, is. I, I understand that, Cooley. But you know what? If I'm going to be super one-dimensional in the NFL playoffs, then it's going to be because you'd be I, one-dimensional running the ball. Yeah, because I can run for 400 yards like they did last week. They're not running for 400 I know yards that, against Tennessee, but they're going to run for two. They're going to run for 250. Yeah, it's just does 250 get you to over 400 yards of total offense over 350, or can you throw the ball at all? You know, the funny thing was the the, the Ravens panicked last year. Uh, that was the one thing, and Harbaugh man never panics. 
You know, they've always been a very, you know, calm, figured out type of team. In that postseason game last year against the Titans, I'm pulling up the box score right now to get how many times Jackson threw the ball. They fell behind, remember, 14-0, and they went away from the run. Jackson threw it 59 times in that game. Mm -hmm. They cannot do that. Mm-mm. You know, because the Ravens are capable down two scores of sticking with their game plan because that's the only plan they have. OK, what what will not work for them is dropping Lamar Jackson down two scores back 59 times. I hope they've learned from that. I'm sure they have. I would think that they have. Um, I don't know, man. I, I Baltimore, I just don't. When they get stopped running the football, it's almost a surprise. It's like, ooh, they're punting? So <laughs> it's third, uh, it's dude, third and ten? What? I know. I just I think Tennessee can run it on Baltimore. I think Tennessee could run it on anybody. What did Tennessee rush it for in the game in the regular season when Henry he wore him down in the second but half? But Baltimore's given up four and a half <laughs> yards of carry on the ground. Uh, Henry had 133 yards in that um, game earlier this year where they were down, right? They were down. They came back. They forced overtime, and they won it 30-24 to 24 in overtime. And Henry, 28 carries a buck 33. But I, I would bet you, and I, I'm not going to look this up right now unless it's in the game story, that almost all of his a lot of his yards came down the stretch because I remember they were wearing Baltimore down and Henry was wearing him down, which he, which he does to a lot of people. Uh, look, I like Tennessee as a team. You know who one of my favorite coaches in the league is? Vrabel. I think Thanks he's, for asking a question I could have answered. Uh, well, because you were going to answer it. Um, the, <laughs> the, we're talking about him. Because, well, because you know I like him too. I think he's really smart. I think he's really smart. By the way, I've heard, because Scott knows him, that he's a really good guy. Do you know him? I don't. I, I met him a couple times playing against him. Always liked him. Scott says he's one of the best guys and one of the real well-liked guys just in the league in general. I didn't know that. Um, I think he's a, an exceptional coach. Okay, what else on the games? What other games are you looking at that you want to add something to? The Baltimore. We, we've went through all the games. Yeah, I think we've pretty much done that. All right, uh, when we come back, uh, we will talk about Deshaun Watson wanting to be traded and then – We will give you our final Washington-Tampa Bay predictions, scores, final score predictions with a footnote. Right after this word from one of our sponsors. uh, We will finish up the show here momentarily with a final score prediction for tomorrow night. Uh, But before that... God, many of you are like, whoa, Deshaun Watson's available. There it is. That's the trade we have to make. We're Super Bowl winners next year if we can add Deshaun Watson. For those that don't know what's going on, Deshaun Watson is not happy. He wants to be traded, apparently. And one of the reasons that he's not happy, I mean, first of all, they traded DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, Bill O'Brien just completely screwed this great young quarterback. Um, But he was told by ownership 
that he would be consulted about general manager and head coach hirings. He was not consulted. They hired Nick Casario from New England to be the new GM. Casario's there. Um, so Watson is not very happy about this. And he would like, according to a lot of reporting out there, he would like to be traded. He tweeted out the other night, some things never change. Um, I'm just going to tell everybody right now, I have a better chance of starting at quarterback in Washington next year than Deshaun Watson does. There is no effing way on God's green earth that Houston's going to trade him for two reasons. One, he's great, so why would you trade him? Two, his contract, he just signed it. He just signed a four-year, $156 million deal with $110 million of it guaranteed. It's an untradeable contract because of what the Texans would have to eat cap-wise. Even if Cooley, somebody said, hey, we'll pay you back for some of that sign, it doesn't matter. Cap accounting says there will be like $80 million in dead money that maybe they could spread out over two years, but it doesn't matter. It would be crippling. You can't trade a quarterback like that a year or 10 months after signing him to that deal. It's one of the reasons it's going to be hard to trade Carson Wentz, but his deal wasn't as big and there's more time on that deal. Um, Watson, to me, is untradeable from a contract standpoint. And then, two, why in the hell, if you're Houston, would you ever trade Deshaun Watson? It doesn't make any sense. Really, you're not happy? Get over it. Because if you're not happy, you can sit out and you're not going to get paid. Uh, There's no way that Deshaun Watson gets traded, is my opinion. What's yours? No way, no how, no chance. It would have to be this blockbuster trade for another massively paid quarterback that would essentially eat up the $80 million in dead money or more that you're spreading out over the next two years. That's the only way is for another elite number one quarterback. No one's trading elite number number one quarterbacks. Elite quarterbacks don't get traded. Here's my other thought on this. Before before we even play this game, he's not getting traded, okay? I don't think so either. No one's trading Deshaun Watson. You're saying exactly. Secondly, this whole LeBron, I'm going to run the team as a player thing is old to me. Yeah, me too. Sean Watson's 25 years old. I would love to consult my quarterback on the receiver that he likes in the NFL on any offensive lineman players that he thinks are good players for our team. I would love to, have Nick Casario talk to him about who he would like to play with. But as far as a 25-year-old being consulted on who the general manager is going to be, no. One, if you're Cal McNair, the owner, don't tell him he's going to be involved in who the GM's going to be. Shouldn't have done that. Now, he is the future in Houston. He could be involved in at least maybe having a veto on a certain head coach. Like that's an important relationship. They they need to mesh. I agree with coordinator, that. quarterback, head coach. There's nothing more important than those three in any organization meshing. I can understand some feedback there from a guy who you've paid $150 million and clearly is 
an outstanding, unbelievable player. And I'm not challenging in any way the intellect of Deshaun Watson or the ability to know people. I'm no, not but saying Nobody that. thinks you're doing that. I'm, but he's a 25-year-old kid who I would question, does he understand the ins and outs of what a GM actually has to do? And what is the responsibility of Casario as he becomes the GM? Because is it organizationally in terms of marketing and media and everything that surrounds a team? And does Deshaun understand that? The GM, come on, Kev. Don't sit here and say you're unhappy about the GM hire because you weren't consulted. It doesn't look good. Think about it a little bit more. You're not getting traded. There's no chance. And now you're just looking a little bit silly, in my opinion, saying, I'm going to pick the people here in terms of GM. And if not, then I'm unhappy with Houston. And look, I get it. When they made Bill O'Brien the GM, it was a pure disaster. O'Brien maybe, as a coach, got guys ready to play, maybe had some good schemes as a coach. I never liked O'Brien. You know that. He was. It was a nightmare for Houston with O'Brien as the GM, getting rid of Jadavion Clowney because he didn't like him, getting rid of Deshaun Hopkins because he didn't like him, making the trade with Tunsil for nothing, like, or, or, or excuse me, giving up everything for Tunsil. And the, this GM, it was a nightmare. And so you would be concerned if you were only had only been a part of that organization that that could happen again. But that doesn't mean you're going to pick the GM. It's just not. That's not, I don't think that's ever happened in the NFL. It would have to be Peyton Manning 15 years into his career, 12 years into his career. Deshaun, go be MVP three more times, win a Super Bowl, understand and know people in the league 10 times more than you do right now. Maybe we'll talk about who you like as a GM candidate. I agree with everything you said, and, and I think it's really important um, because I, I'm going to mention something else here right afterwards. I, I think it would be really short-sighted in this day and age in particular if you didn't consult your $156 million quarterback at any age, you just gave him that contract last year, less than a year ago, on the head coach. The GM's different. But I do want to make sure that I'm hiring a head coach that my my highest-paid guy, the quarterback, the most important position, the future of my franchise, the face of my franchise, I want to make sure I'm not hiring a guy that he is going to be at odds with from day one. I want to make sure that it's the right fit with my quarterback. So I get that. Um, but don't tell him, Kev. No. That you're going to involve no, him no, no, in no. such this, matters yeah. because now there's a dishonesty created with ownership and players, and you don't want that. No, I agree. I you should have – like, Cal McNair should have never, no, the, if he even did, really inform him. But there should have never been a conversation of, hey, Deshaun, when we hire a new GM, I'll, I'll talk to you about it for a minute. I, yeah, because it was probably more like, uh, or, Not you'll sit in or, on interviews. Or you just surprise him with, with Nick Casario. Hey, Deshaun, can you meet with us today at, at noon? Well, we got yeah. lunch. The we whole love thing. this guy, Casario. Yeah. Here's why. Yeah. You know. No, no, I'm saying even after you've hired Casario and you bring him in and say, all right, we want your input on some of the heading, head coach candidates, and we'd like we'd actually like you to be involved in some of the meetings. I don't, I don't think that that would be crazy. But you don't tell him up front. You don't set the expectation level that he's going to be somehow a quasi-GM. You don't do it. 
By the way, no, you can't do it because now Casario's put in a spot. Any GM you hire is put in a spot like, okay, there are three head coaching candidates that I really like, but I got to make sure that Deshaun likes my guy. Yeah. I, I just. It's a, perfect, it's, it's a perfect segue for me to get into this with you. Last night in the NBA, um, Brooklyn, um, Brooklyn beat the 76ers 122-109 to without Kyrie Irving um, and without Kevin Durant. Durant is still in you know quarantine, uh, COVID-19 tracing quarantine stuff. He's had to miss four games. Um, Kyrie Irving, who honestly may be the most intellectually limited player in the league, um, sat out the game. He uh, did not play in the game. By the way, his team won the game without him and without Kevin Durant against the number one team in the East, the 76ers. Um, The reason that he didn't want to play, according to reports, is, quote, um, he apparently told a source, uh, a, a source apparently reported that he told a teammate, quote, I just don't want to play, closed quote. Steve Nash, the head coach, who, if you recall, when he got hired, Kyrie Irving said, yeah, Steve's not really going to be a head coach. We're going to do this, you know, we're going to do this all together. It's going to be a consensus thing. Um, We don't really have a head coach. (laughs) Welcome. Welcome to Brooklyn, Steve. You just got hired and paid like a head coach, but one of your two best players and star players says, we don't really have a coach. Um... Uh, Nash said, I haven't spoken to him yet. I can't really comment because I haven't spoken to him. It's personal reasons. That's why he's out tonight. Um, the reasons are going to have to come from Kyrie. Um, and you know, then the reporting was that he was so upset by the events in Washington on Wednesday that he wanted to, you know, just miss the game. I don't know, honestly, that there is a team in sports right now that I am rooting against more than the Brooklyn Nets. Kyrie Irving would be, to me, he is an absolute team killer. Absolute team killer. Kevin Durant, so sensitive that at one point he had a fake Twitter account up so that he could send tweets that people could see that were positive about himself. Um this is people this, aren't positive enough about Durant. This is a total disaster in the making, and it couldn't happen. I look. I, I like Kevin Durant. He's from here. I think he's one of the most unique players in history, um, and one of the greatest scorers of all time. His sensitivity to criticism drives me nuts, but I'm sure there are reasons for it. Kyrie Irving's a flat earther who's a dum-dum of the highest order. And 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 by and <laughs> and by the way the only let's face it even though he was great and hit that big shot in game 7, you know, for Cleveland to win that one title with LeBron, you think he's got any chance to win that title without LeBron? Look what he did to the Celtics. He is a loser of the highest order. He's a great player. I mean, he is so much fun. If you if you can take the personality out of it, Kyrie Irving's one of the best combined scorers, ball handlers I've ever watched. He's not Steph Curry. Okay, he's not Steph Curry. But my God, what a team chemistry killer this loser is. Skipping a game 
okay, well, why are you able to skip the game because you're really traumatized by what happened in Washington? And without giving a reason, uh, and, and other players maybe felt the same way. Sorry, when you're paid what you're paid and that game's being played and you're not injured, you have an obligation to play the game, period. You have an obligation to your team and your employer, your teammates and your employer, to play the game. Now, look, if I'm wrong and the reporting comes out later today that Kyrie Irving had broken a thumb or had some sort of accident or had a family you know, situation, pers- a, a, a real personal situation, then I retract everything I've said. Not about him being a loser and being a team chemistry killer, but about the situation from last night. But... Wow. I mean, the reason I thought of it is because uh, there's nothing worse to me than the situation in the NBA right now. Like, you have a situation where the players run the league. It is what it is. But you can't have Kyrie Irving run your team. You can have LeBron make some big-time decisions. I think he's earned it. You cannot have and defer to a dum-dum like Kyrie Irving. At least LeBron's intelligent, and LeBron's earned it. I don't love that either. I don't love the players running the team. The NBA is obviously different because if you don't have the talent and you don't have the stars, you can't win. It's just you can't win. Kyrie Irving is a loser, period. He's going if he doesn't play because of if the reason isn't totally justifiable, I'm finding the shit out of him. And I'm also making sure that there is a head coach and his name is Steve Nash. And you report to him. He doesn't report to you. And by the way, they are five and four at this point. And I think in the in the games that Kyrie hasn't played in, they've won. I'm pretty sure they've won two games now without Kyrie Irving playing in them. Anyway, um, <laughs> I mean, look, the we, we Tommy and I spent all day talking about it. We spent a lot of time talking about it. It was certainly a traumatic day. Again, I'm just going to repeat, if you missed this yesterday and it pissed some of you off, sorry. Um, the other day was not 9-11, okay? It wasn't Pearl Harbor. It's not a day that will live in infamy, okay? It was a very sad, disturbing, tragic day. I understand that. I'm not minimizing what happened on that day or the reasons why it happened or how it was handled. But it was not 9-11. It was not Pearl Harbor Day, okay? Many of you in six months when I say, well, what was, what's the date of the day that the, they, they stormed the Capitol? You won't be able to come up with the date in six months. Okay, understand that. Some of you will, some of you won't. 9-11 is a date that none of us will ever forget. December 7th, 1941 was the day that will live in infamy, all right? Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Not, you know, not Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer saying that this will be a day that will live in infamy was using an, a level of exaggeration that was, you know, for him, I'm sure, very emotional in the moment. He felt that way. But it's not a day that's going to be that's going to live in infamy. We're not going to remember for the rest of our lives January 6th, 2021. It was a de- bad day, sad day, disturbing day, awful day. 
Okay, just like all of you, I sat there and I watched it, and I will never forget it. I'll never forget two days ago after Cooley and I got done with the podcast, and I turned on the TV and I sat here and I watched this. Okay, it it, it happened in my city, and I'll never forget it. It was not 9-11. It was not Pearl Harbor Day. <laughs> Did you want to add anything to that? <laughs> we haven't even no. ta- we haven't even talked about the other day. It was right when the podcast literally I got done. You know, editing the podcast, I put it out, and I had the TV on here. I'm like, oh, my fucking God, look at what's going on here. Um, okay, uh, one more break, and our final score prediction with a footnote right after this. All right, uh, let's finish it up with a final score prediction with a footnote. Cooley, go ahead. Final score prediction is 27 to 13 Tampa Bay. I think Washington battles through three quarters of this game, keeping it pretty close, realistic game. But I just think Tampa ends up being too much with Washington having an offense that can't really score, move the ball, and Tampa being able to score on almost anybody throughout this year. I hope it's not the case. But I think Tampa's too much in this game. I've got Tampa Bay 20, Washington 15. It's the same score they lost to the Seahawks by a few weeks ago. Um, It's not going to be a missed field goal by Dustin Hopkins. There are going to be um, three field goals by Hopkins. And then down 20 to 9 late, they're going to score a touchdown. They're going to go for two. They're not going to make it. It's going to be 20 to 15. They're going to get the cover. The game's going to be like a you know 17 to 9 game going into the fourth quarter. They're going to be there. And they're going to be there because defensively they're going to play very well. Chase Young's got to step up, you know. He I didn't have much of an issue with what he said about Brady that he wants Me Brady. Either. Um Me but, either. but but I need to see him back it up with a big time game and I think he will. Uh, and I think they'll get Brady off his mark, and I think they'll make him un- uncomfortable a bit. And I think it'll be a game that they're going to be really competitive and really tough and really physical in, and I think it's an under game, and I think it's 20-15 to 15, uh, Tampa. So they get the late touchdown, they go for two, they miss, they try, to, they try an onside kick, they don't get it, and they lose 20-15. to 15. Um, That's my final score. You've got 27-13 Tampa. Uh, enjoy the football. I will enjoy the football. I hope you get the clearance to watch all six games. No, I'm, this is not a ask for clearance. This is a go hide in the basement. Mm. So you're going to hide. You're going to hide. Where's Chris? Where is he? You're <laughs> hiding. Not... So you can't You can't just say up front, look, uh, I'm watching football from 11. No, I'm going to say up front. 11 a.m. But, to, my kid, but yeah, yo, 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 yo. Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. What? Let's not put me in that spot here. You do have to somewhat hide, or I'm going to have two kids trying to play wrestle. I know. I got you. I there were many of the those playoff weekends when the kids were young, where I'm watching games, and I but I also had to watch the kids. You know, I was able to do both. Got to be able to multitask, Cooley. You 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 know that better than anybody else. You're really good at multitasking. In fact, you have to multitask to even be interested. So maybe having the kids around you and playing while watching these games will be a good thing for you. Uh, what else? Yeah. What's every that? every time someone catches a ball, my three year old says, "Did they win?" <laughs> What's the weather? Yeah. What what kind of weather do you guys have out there? It's been 
honestly, it's been awesome. It's not warm, but it's it's hit 40 almost every day. It's to between 20 and 40. I, I was going to mention that, you know, of the six playoff games this weekend, five of them are in cold weather, you know, cities. I mean, Nashville actually is a, you know, a, a, a cold weather city as well. There's one indoor game that's in New Orleans, but none of the five cold weather, you know, bad weather possibility games, you're not going to have bad weather in any of them. Any no, of them. No inclement weather, no crowds. Exactly. Like tomorrow night for, for Washington, Tampa. Kickoff temperature is probably going to be at like 32, 33 degrees, maybe a little bit warmer, dropping to like 30 during the game. That's perfect weather for football in January in, you know, a, in an East Coast, you know, colder climate in January. You're not getting bad weather in Nashville. You're not getting bad weather in Pittsburgh. You're not getting bad weather, weather in Buffalo. Seattle could be like 40s with maybe some drizzle. Pittsburgh Sunday night, not supposed to be bad weather. So there you go. Um, I like bad weather during the playoffs, but we're, we're not going to get it. Yeah, we're not going to get any of it this weekend. All right, that's it. Back on Monday to talk about all this stuff. Have a great weekend.